Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. This week, my creative guest is a filmmaker named Yen Tan. He has a new movie coming out this week called 1985. I saw it when it was playing at Outfest. It is terrific. Not unlike his previous films, which you may have seen, Pit Stop and Chow. I actually met Yen when one of my short films was on the same circuit with Chow, and uh, we kind of got to know each other that way. I recorded this interview when he was in town this July for Outfest, and I've been holding it for the film's release, which is now. So uh, before we get to the interview, though, I want to mention that I think the best gift you can give somebody this holiday season, especially those people that are hard to shop for, is a copy of my new game, You Don't Know My Life. Because think of it. Some people have everything. They're always the first with this or that, and you don't know what to get them. This thing, nobody's got it, right? And it's also very cute. It looks very good on a shelf. It looks good under a tree. It looks good um, like a Christmas tree. I don't mean just go put it in front of a tree. Um, it's about the size of a hardback book. It's adorable. Um, and they'll have a blast with it. So uh, if you've got people that are hard to shop for, you should pre-order one of these games. And you'll have it in time for Christmas. We've got a 1,000 of them coming from uh, Singapore. And um, frankly, I don't have that much room in my garage. So uh, go to youdon'tknowmylifegame.com and you can do that. And I would love it. All right. I'm recording this uh, intro on my phone in my car because I've had some computer issues, which I will explain during So This Happened at the end of this podcast. I just wanted to give you that teaser because I'm sure it's fast, endlessly fascinating, my technological uh, travails. All right. Here, without any further ado, is Yen Tan. Hey there, it's a bright sunny day in Los Angeles. I'm coming to you from my friend Dave Kittredge's uh, home in Koreatown, but I'm not interviewing Dave Kittredge. Um, we both have a mutual friend, Yen Tan, who happens to be staying at Dave Kittredge's home, and Yen is here for Outfest because he has a fabulous film that just played the festival called 1985. Welcome to sunny L.A. It's hot, and, um, <laughs> you know, there's uh, lots of... Um, you know, Outfest fun to be had. So how, how has your stay been since you've been here? It's been great. I like that you specify the location of where we're at. I always do that because they're like, where are they? I can kind of hear cars and yeah. I, you know, a lot of podcast people are just so lazy that they get a professional studio. Right. But right. I like to take my laptop and little microphone and just go anywhere. No, I'm that that's guy. That's great. No, that's, that's a really nice way of do, doing it. Yeah. I'm the Anderson Cooper of podcasting. Right. I am not afraid to put on a... A T-shirt, a fitted tee, and get on a plane and go out there right. with the people. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So your film that is playing at Outfest, it's your fourth feature. It's called yeah. 1985. Right. I saw it the other night. It is lovely and moving and it's just terrific. And uh, how did you feel about the reception? How, did, how? What's it like now to watch it with audiences? It's, you know, I mean, I, I feel like right now, having, having attended a bunch of screenings, I, 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 I know what's going to happen. It's just a matter of the degree of yes. that, you know. Um, I mean, Outfest was definitely, like, one of, the, one of the best ones, just in the sense that I think, you know, the, the outpour of emotions was, like, there was a lot of that. Yeah. I mean, whether it's during the Q&A or even after the conversations I had with people after the screening. So, I think... You know, I think it was it was really great. Like it was really meaningful, and just like just talking to different people, and just having a sense that I didn't tell the story incorrectly. Right. Which I'm I'm realizing that it's actually easy to do that to, to just like to, to mess up a little to, bit. Yeah. To, to take take the wrong step when it 
when it especially when it comes to telling a story where where I didn't go through it, you know, right. it's like, it's, and it's like, and, and we're in this, this sort of identity politics age where, who are you to tell the story if you didn't go through it, you know, sort of thing. I understand that. I have to be honest. I've gone to some Q and A's in the last couple of years where I'm like, I'm kind of glad I don't have a film right now. Right, right. Because I know I would fuck something up yeah. around all of that yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean, of course I wish I were being more creative and whatever, but I, some of those Q and A's make me a little on edge because I was like, Oh, I would have done. I would have made that same mistake, right? Whether arguably whether it's a mistake or not, but yeah, it's it, it's a lot. Um, so that you took it on. Um, tell tell the the listeners a bit about the story. Yeah. So 1985 is about Adrian, who's a young man who um, lives in New York, and he goes back home to Fort Worth, Texas, for the holidays to see his family, and he hasn't seen them for a couple of years. And we learn over the course of the film that. It's essentially kind of like his farewell trip, and and the, the 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 only thing is that he's not telling them about it, and you know what we learn is that he's you know he's 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 gay and he's also has AIDS and it's it's one of those things where, in that in that period of time, um, a lot of people didn't have the luxury to actually tell their family what's going on with them because that there's a fear of just being stigmatized and being sort of rejected, you know, and, and, and that happens all the time, even when, when family learns the truth, you know, they, they disown them and all this kind of stuff. So, so it's just like, it's kind of like a character study about what happens when, um, the, the sort of like privilege of coming out is not there. Yeah. It's, it's, it was like, oh yeah, this is what it used to be like Mm -hmm, at the beginning mm -hmm. of AIDS. And I remember... In the Q and A, the uh, the the Rock Hudson passing mm-hmm, came up because mm-hmm. this is sort of set not long after that. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in Arizona in college and all of the super, supermarket tabloids. I remember being in the grocery store and just seeing all of the major tabloids yeah. had that story on the cover. And it was very unflattering because it would show images of him looking really sick and yeah. losing a lot of weight. So I think people use that as a sort of like a representation of the disease. Right, and it was the first really yeah. public face of it, and oh, was, he kissed Linda Evans, and mm-hmm. you know, it, right, like, it right, was right. really... Yeah, yeah, right, right. What made you decide to want to tell this story? Uh, so I had a job after I graduated from college where I interacted with men who were living HIV and AIDS, and this was like mid to late 90s era, and I, I heard a lot of stories from them that was... Uh, that. I, you know, it's like I, I had the job, so I, I, I talked to them, but I wasn't like listening to them on being engaged on an emotional level. You know, I think it's because I was too young to understand the gravity of their situation. I mean, I was like 22, and right. I mean, these guys went through the 80s and all this kind of stuff. And then, what was the job? The job was like I worked for a biological settlement company, and this was like in between jobs where it was a really hard time. I had a really hard time getting a job in, uh, in the agency world because I was a copywriter. Right. So I took a job where basically I was just um, doing sort of like administrative work for this company. Right. And by the way, I don't know if you've heard of the... No. It's something that's like no longer in the zeitgeist. So there was a period of time where if you're terminally ill, you can sell your life insurance policy to a third party. Right. And then you transfer ownership and all that kind of stuff. And so say you have a $100,000 life insurance policy... 
if you're really sick and you're gonna die fast, right. you can get like a really high percentage of that in cash as long as you're willing to transfer the ownership to the person who's paying you the money for it. And you can pa- you can do it to a stranger, right? Exactly. And then how do what do they collect? They collect whatever that settlement would be. So it would be like let's say you have um, your medical documents are showing that you may die in six months. Right. You can potentially get. 80% of the face value. So you get like $80,000 in cash. Right. Uh, with the idea that they're going to get an additional $20,000 of a profit. You know, when you die and then they collect it. And how much would they sell it for? How much would you sell it for? Uh, like, hundred like your, your the life insurance policy owner and then you're selling it to these people for $80,000. So everybody wins. Huh? Everybody. Everybody like, wins in the sense that everybody wins if Technically, you die if we end up give the yeah, projected right. life expectancy. The, the thing that can throw off that is if you don't die, right? And okay. that has ha- that happens a lot, and that's yeah. one of the reasons why the industry slowly died off. Yeah, it just seems like such a weird proposition. Yes, exactly. It feels like it shouldn't even be legal. It's, but I remember when this was happening, yeah, and it was highly unregulated. Yeah, and there was a lot of scams and people doing shady stuff. Yeah, and, and then a lot of people didn't die given right the, with the life because that was when the life changing drugs came out. Yeah, and so people were taking it, and then it was like, oh, I saw my policy a year ago, and now I'm doing now great. Now look at me. And meanwhile, they're getting phone calls checking in on them. It's yeah, like, are you Please, how sick are you? <laughs> I, it's almost like you want to audition people to see how sick they are before yeah. you. That's that is right, right. so weird. Yeah. So you were you were in in that sort of business, and so you would end up talking to right. To I talked people to a lot that of, had the policies. Yeah, because it's like I was walking through them through the application, and it's like they're telling me really personal things about themselves, like, right. They have to share their medical documents, and I learned what viral load was, T-cell counts, and all these kind of stuff, and what right. certain, you know, certain sort of like, like side effects from term, taking certain drugs, and what it could create, and what, and all this. So you, you, you learn about these people in a, in a very medical way, and then they, and I think as a result of that, they, they tell you like personal things. Sure. You know, and like, you know, there'll be instances where somebody says, they haven't talked to their family for a long time, or their family don't—they don't know what's going on with them. And right. Meanwhile, I can tell when I look at their life insurance policy that you—you're putting your dad as the beneficiary of this policy. You know. Right. Like, like what's the? What's the story? Does he right, know or like, not? Yeah, and it's like, how how do you expect this to play out when everything comes out, or whatever? And you're transferring the benefit, you know, to somebody yeah. else and all this kind of stuff. So. I, I think I was very intrigued, like, many years later, like, 15 years later, I'm, like, thinking back about these conversations, and it's, like, uh, this is my attempt to, like, piece the puzzle right. together. Right, and, and you get come from a different perspective Exactly, now. yeah. And, you see, and, wow. and, and also, the other thing is that I needed to, I, 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 from, personally, I needed to make a film to tell myself that, you know, at the age of 10, sort of, like, knowing what AIDS was back then, and sort of making that quick association that, being gay means you're going to die of AIDS. Right. Like, I wasn't even thinking in terms of like this, like sexual intercourse in the meantime, like that. That's part of it. I just thought gay means Yeah, you got it automatically. AIDS, right. Yeah. And so I, I, I think this is an, also an attempt to go back and tell time and tell myself that it's two different things and gay by itself can be something that's really, you know, meaningful and beautiful and all that you, kind you of You could have everything that, right, exactly. that, that yeah. people the, the, would think of as a happy life would right, have. Right, right, right. Um, you shot it in black and white. Right. 
And the other night at the Q&A, that question was asked, and um, your cinematographer, Hutch, mm-hmm. who you collaborated with as, in editing and the story as well and producing, um, he was curious to see why the audience thought that. Right, right. And I think I, I, um, my theory is that when you think of the 80s, you think of the colors and the mm-hmm. nagel prints and the music and the, like, and I think this was a way to, to do that time without getting hung up on the shoulder pads mm-hmm. and the, and the colors. Mm-hmm. And, and so that was my theory. Right, but, um, right, right. Yeah, it, it really, I thought made an impact. I, I thought it was beautiful. Yeah. Um, Thank How, you. What, what's your reason for that? I mean, I think, you know, it's like the, there's a, it's, it's, we, we thought it was interesting that black and white evokes period, but also is very timeless as yes. an aesthetic. And so, and, you know, one of the creative sort of reasons, reasonings for shooting on black and white also is that, um, that was like a really stark time for gay men. Yeah. And it's not like this colorful, vibrant period for them no. when they're going through these really It's not the parades with yeah. all the multicolors. Right. And so it was just trying to, you know, literally explore that visually in yeah. this film. And, and I, think, um, I, think, I think it's worked to the film's advantage because you're like not distracted by things that are not, are things that we don't want you to focus on right. basically, whether it's like set stuff or wardrobe and all that and you can sort of just look at it in a way that's very like very much hone in on the characters and their journey and what they're going through and it's kind of like the the idea that it's in the 80s kind of like it sinks in the back of your head yeah and and it kind of helps you watch it oddly in like a contemporary setting you know because now I feel like the film now plays differently because of what we're going through politically and there's a sense of are we going through the dark ages again? Right, right, because right. we might be losing rights and all this kind of stuff. So then it's, there's this sense of like, the parallels are a little bit more apparent now. I agree. Um, when you decide to shoot on black and white film, is it easy to find it and develop it, develop it and process it? And uh, or was... I mean, yeah, I mean, there's basically only like, there's like two black and white film stocks available now and it's only Kodak is the only company Yeah, around. so that's the only game in town. Right, and then on top of that, like, there's an, I think there's only two labs in the country that processes black and white film stock. Um, and I remember when we did ours, we kind of only, we didn't, our dailies were weeklies. Right. And it was because uh, Louis C.K. was processing I Love You Daddy at the same time as we were. And oh we my got, gosh. And we got pushed back. And they was shot. Was his film in black and white? Yes. His film oh. was in black and white also. Okay. And it was, it was also like, he shot a lot more than we did. And of course, I'm sure they were pulling, paying the full rate. Right. So they have priority processing. Right. So you had to, you were like the second banana. <laughs> right. To yeah. Louis C.K. Right. Wow. <laughs> the film that was about to come out and right. all that stuff blew up. I have a screener of it because yeah. they sent it to uh, ger- uh, entertainment writers and yeah. uh, I haven't watched it yet, but yeah. I, I'm I mean, one of the few people that have that film. They send it out before they have to pull the film and it's too late to pull it back, basically. Uh, yeah. Crazy. <laughs> Guess you're having the last laugh now <laughs> waiting on your weeklies. Um, you have some uh, fantastic actors in the film and name actors, Virginia Madsen, yeah. um, Michael Chiklis, mm-hmm. and your lead guy is on Gotham, right. uh, Corey Michael Smith. Yeah. So uh, did that feel like a, um, a step in a different direction for you with using Hollywood talent? Or You've had, peop- you've had actors, um, right. great actors before, but yeah. I thought a lot of them were kind of local where, right. where you're at in Texas and stuff. Yeah. Did it feel like a... Uh, uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think... 
you know, there was... Uh, the, the, the thing that we initially ran into, sort of like what I call the warming up period for everyone, was that there's, I, I think there's a sort of like adjustment of expectations involved with both parties where these actors are essentially coming into our set and they came from like way bigger production. Sure. You know, like Virginia Madsen was coming off Person of Interest that is season and, and yeah. Corey's coming off Gotham. So... You know, like, our set is, like, so small. Right. And it's, like, we're shooting in June in the summer in Dallas. And it was just... And there was this sense of, like, they know what they're going getting themselves into. But I think sometimes there's the idea of knowing and the idea of actually right. seeing it right Being like, oh, we're all going to share one bathroom. Right, <laughs> right, right, exactly. That sounds fun. It'll be yeah, like summer yeah. camp. And then you get there and you're like... No, this is <laughs> right. not what I. And mean. you're gonna be on the set for so many hours. You're right. gonna be together and all this kind of stuff. So that's gonna there's bound to be like little frictions here and yes. there. And I think we sort of got over all of that really quickly and just sort of managed to just focus on the work because I think ultimately they came to do the film because they responded to the script and um, so like it was nice to work with these caliber of actors because they kind of nailed their shit like that, right? You know, and it's like. Oh, one take, two takes. Let's move on. Move on, right? So there wasn't, there wasn't like we didn't have to like fuck around with things, and we just know that they got it, and then I feel good about their takes, and then we just move on. And so in that sense, like we production went really fast. Like we were, we were never like over schedule and and any of that. So it was nice to know that you can trust them to handle the material. Yeah. How did you get the scripts to these people? Do you have a casting director? Or? Uh, we we sort of had a casting director for a while, but he couldn't commit to it too much because it was like one of those things where we couldn't pay him anything. So, yeah. of course, he can't like spend too much time on it. Right. So, Ash Christian, our producer, our other producer, basically, he's very well-versed in that world of talking to agencies and all that kind of stuff. And also, he's, he's like friends with Virginia Madsen, so that was like an easy... like. Right. Check it out, see if you like it. Right. Um, Virginia was the first one who came on board. And then I was talking to Corey because he really responded. His agency and his agents and his, he, he himself responded to the material. And then we talked and then I, I really liked him. Yeah. Like, I felt like he, he was right for it. And then, and then it was through him that we got Michael Chiklis because they work on Gotham together. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So it was another one of those like shortcuts. Yeah. Uh, it's then, all about the shortcuts. Yeah, I know. It's like sometimes middle people can really muddle things and yeah. just slow it down, you right. know? And I understand why that's needed, yeah. you know? But it's like for something like us, it's like it, it really could be like detrimental to us like yeah. having very little resources and having a short amount of time to like turn things around. It's like we, sh- we need these... We need the these shortcuts, shortcuts help out a lot. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things I noticed from about this and also Chow and Pit Stop is you like scenes with long takes, mm-hmm. long single takes, and they're sensational. Um, why do you like that? And also, do you ever worry, like, you know, everything has to work in that take? Right, right, You right, know, the performances, right. everything has to work. Yeah. Is it a bit of, um, you know, you set yourself up with a challenge. So. Yes, for sure. And, I mean, what I've learned from doing, you know, 1985 especially is that with really seasoned actors, it's actually, they're just asking for the long takes because you realize you don't have to cut to coverage as much because they kind of already nail it in your masters right. sometimes. 
So at the same time, I'm not like ballsy to just do every scene in right. that way. And it's I know sh- certain scenes it. you can do close-ups yeah. and stuff. So it's very much like, like for instance, like the the the, the most sort of like I, I felt like we take, took the biggest risk on is essentially the six-page dialogue scene between Michael Chiklis and Corey Michaelson in the backyard. Yes, where we stayed on a master and it was like a really slow push in for like five pages basically. Um, and we shot coverage also for the entire scene for the, yeah. the close-up coverage and it was always like trying to figure out okay do we cut to the close-up like faster or do we hang on it and, and you keep yeah. going oh no let's just stay on it right, right, let's just right. stay on it yeah. and then you feel sort of like well why do we even shoot that you know what I mean right, like, right exactly yeah and then we cut it in at a very specific point in the, in the scene and it really made the entire scene a lot more dramatic yeah. like it was just like because when you know, when you watch it as a as a wide, there's a interesting sort of like you're there theatrical quality to it, like not yes. in a bad theatrical on film sort of way. It's just like you feel there's a very immediate effect to it where you're like, I'm I'm asking you to pay attention more, and then I'm also rewarding you at the right time of the scene when I cut to the close up. Yeah. So it's a more I I feel like it's it's the kind of risk that was worth taking because I, I think I'm engaging audiences in a different way. And, right. And I think that's what you should do with cinema. Anytime you can do sort of creative risks, yeah. you should you should do it. That scene really resonated with me because, you know, my father was from Oklahoma. Yeah. It, it, you know, they were hunters and fishers. They were like that. Yeah. And, you know, maybe he's having a beer out on the porch or whatever. Uh, so I really, and, and I related, of course, to your protagonist, like mm-hmm. ha- trying to have that conversation with his father and... Um, just, just the vibe of it. it was right, really good. right, right. I also love the scene between the lead and his quote unquote old girlfriend. Right, or, right, right. Jamie Chung, yeah. She's sensational. She's amazing, yeah. She's so good. I loved her. Yeah. Um, tell me about her. Where'd you so find her? So, Jamie, um, if you look through Jamie's filmography, it's, it's um, you know, she, she's done a lot of stuff, and then I think. She's very much more known in the comedic world. Like she's done yeah. the Hangover films. Uh, she was, um, um, what was the other thing that she was in? Like she was, she's done a lot of TV. She's in Casual. She's in like Office Christmas Party and right. those kind of films. Um, and she was like an MTV girl. Was yeah. It, was it Real World or something? Is how she got into acting. Oh, really? She yeah. was one of the. She was, she was on one, one of the one reality of those shows. shows, right? Okay. One of those reality shows on MTV. Right. Um, and so she's always gotten. I feel like she's always certain, gotten certain kind of roles because of her looks, you know? Yeah. And, and she's like a gorgeous, like, Korean-American actress. And, and I think people sort of put her in a certain box. Right. So I saw her in a film that my, my friend Megan, um, uh, Megan did called Eden that was like, um, um, where Jamie's the lead in it. And she plays like a, this is like a based on a true story where she plays like a sex trafficking victim. Right. And... And it was like a really dramatic role, and she was amazing in it. Like yeah. I was just like so blown away by her in that film. That and then I was just like, I think she has untapped or yeah, there's more. That she's not getting to use everything. Right. She's that not she's got. Right, exactly yeah. because of the kind of roles that was offered to right. her. So we went out to her, and she just and she was like doing Marvel, the the Marvel show Gifted, right. Uh, with, di- with Brian Singer at that time, I remember. It was a pilot directed by Brian Singer. Right. And she, she read the script and she totally responded to it. And it was just like, okay, let's let's do it. You know, I was... At the same time, it's always like you... These actors always come very prepared on the set. 
but you also sometimes you wonder if the preparation is is in sync with your what you have in mind, right. what you have in vision, and exactly. there's always a fear that they made all different. these choices right, that are right, different. Right, right, yeah. exactly. And it, and it's not like that with with Jamie or or, or anyone. Like I felt yeah. like everyone was kind of always on the same page. That's awesome. Uh, there's a character of the little brother. He's probably like what ten, yeah. right? Uh, and I found him very compelling and moving and sweet. And yeah, yeah talk about that character. So that character is uh, Aiden Langford. Uh, he's uh, he plays young Bosch in the in the Bosch show on Amazon. Okay. Uh, so the little casting trivia about this role was that originally it was meant to be played by Noel Schnapp. In Stranger Things, he plays with oh, the yeah. writer's kit. Okay. So what happened was that, you know, we're in pre-production and we got a notification from his people that one of the kids in Stranger Things had like an accident or something, like he broke his arm or something like that. And so they have to push season two, like the shoot, right. another two or two, three weeks or something like that. And it totally overlapped into hours. Right. And we couldn't, we we're not just going to reschedule because everyone Good. else was available. It was yeah. just such a, such a big risk to take. So we started auditioning like local Dallas kids. Right. And he was like, he like really stood out like to us, you know. Was like, this kid local Dallas kid? Yes, he was a local Dallas kid. So yeah. he's, he's in LA now, but yeah. yeah, he was like in Dallas at that time. And I just immediately thought he was like right, you know, for right. It, you know, because he, I think he has that quality where you, kind of get the vibe that he might be gay but you, right. you're not positive because you're like oh you're, he's too young to you know it's too young for us to determine it's like that's always yeah. weird when we project what their sexual orientation is right because they're too young and you just kind of like, let's not do that but he had the right balance of like you get the vibe but you don't really know right. and it's just like playing playing along those lines and I think uh, the lead a- Adrian yeah sees himself in him in right, some, right, on some right, level and right. that that's um, beautifully you do something at the end of the film that's so beautiful with that but you want to know something I realized I had this kind of internalized homophobic thought right. when I sort of saw the young kid and I thought okay he might end up going there and, and I'm like oh these parents they, they have two now right and I sort of felt bad. Yeah, yeah, that. no, totally. But right, I'm like, right. oh, like, oh, yeah, no, totally. They don't have one normal one, and I'm like, yeah. Dennis, yeah, that's not right. To exactly, think that way. exactly, right. But it's also, I think, it's one thing that I could totally understand for those parents at that time, where yes, once they learn that, I yeah. think it will be very devastating for them. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, it's not like it's bad to have gay kids, but it's like. For these people, and they're very religious, <laughs> right. and where they lived, and what they were like, and what they've been yeah. experienced. I was like, Whoa. right, right, yeah. And it's like it's it's interesting. Like I I, I I think I managed to meet a version of these type of parents, like in in today's setting, because there was a mother who came up to me after our screening in Miami, and she was just like in tears, and then and then she hugged me, and then she was like. Uh, my son died of AIDS in the 90s, and I took care of him and all this kind of stuff. And then here's my other son that I want you to meet. And his son came with another guy who I learned later that is his husband. And and then I just put it together. I was like, so you have two gay, gay sons. Yeah. One of them died, and the other one is here right now with us. Mary. And is married. And it becomes this weird, like... They're, within their family, they're telling the big story of our community over right, the last... Right, right. Exactly. And then you're just kind of like... So, you know, it's like the other one, because of the time, like, passed away. 
and it's like this the younger brother is the one who's like now is enjoying the right privilege of whatever you know marriage equality and all that kind of right. stuff and it's like really interesting to actually see that in front of me um, yeah. where I'm kind of like oh wow I made this up but this is kind of like the, the results of it in a way what are I would think this film more than your other films because of the 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 aid the people relating to the AIDS um, storyline yeah would would have people coming up to you and telling sharing personal stories mm-hmm. and what is that like uh, it's it's kind of I don't know I feel I, I, I'm not sure if saying that I feel weird about it is the right way of put, putting it, but I, I think there's a sense of, like, I'm, you know, I'm really, like, flattered when they thank me for telling the story and all this kind of stuff. But at the same time, I also don't think I completely understand what they go, went through. Right. Well, I can completely say I knew exactly what you went through. Because I don't, seriously. Right. I don't know what it's like to, like, lose your group of friends right. like that you know and, and just sort of like go through all that in, in like many years of that and also if you're sick yourself which adds another element to it and the, and the idea that everyone was against you yeah. your government's not helping you and everywhere you turn nobody's really like supporting you and, and I don't I don't think I can know what that's like right you know um, I'm trying to remember which festival we met at because mm-hmm. it was around the time you had Chow the yeah. movie which I, I loved. I met you at Frameline. Frameline made yes, it first, yeah. right? And then we ran to each other at the Austin Gay and Lesbian Festival. Austin, which we I both loved. played there, right? And then you were also here. I think I I remember you you being here and um, the Italian guy that you collaborated right, with, Alessandro. Right. Alessandro yeah. being yeah. here, right? Right. Um, for Chow, anyway, it was yeah. it was around that time. Um, where did you first start making films at? Did you go to school for uh, it? No, I went. I mean, I went to school for advertising, like school okay. of journalism, and then I made films as a hobby on the side. So right. this was happening in Dallas, and David Lowry was one of those guys I was friends with, and I, you know, made films with him, and he helped me, and I helped him. And David's like now, you know, he made he directed Peace Dragon for Disney, and he, wow. has, he has a new film coming out this fall with Robert Rifford and Casey Affleck called Old Man and the Gun. He had awesome. a film last. He had a film in Austin called A Ghost Story with Rooney Mara. Oh, cool! So he's like really like blown up. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it's it's cool to see how like we all were like DIYing it. Yeah, you know, and like somehow people took attention and you know. Yeah. So he w- he was in Dallas with you making yes. films uh-huh. around the same yeah, time yeah. and all that stuff. You still keep in touch with him? Yes, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, that's wild. Now, when was Pit Stop was another big film for you right with um, an actor that I know Marcus Deanda right yes I remember you you emailing me I worked with him before you on my short film and you were like you know just saying hey I think I'm going to use him what do you think and I'm like he's great you're like don't work with him he's a (laughs) raving nightmare Um, I will say this he uh, has a nice tush yeah and he was okay with us uh, putting it on camera yeah he's very um very comfortable with nudity. Yeah. And it's it becomes funny after a while. Yeah. That he was always making suggestions about, I can just take it off. Right. Like, he, he, basically, he basically wanted to show his yeah, ass. I'm like, Marcus, so like, all right. he's showing, like, ways up. It's cool. <laughs> all right, it wasn't just me. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's a, it is a relief, though, because you don't want actors to feel taken advantage of or exploited or whatever. Right, right. Totally, so it, totally. it is a relief yeah. to know that they're, like, all yeah. over it. Right. Um, yeah, he's cool. He's not, He was at your screening the other night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was cool. And he was in the film. Yeah. In the background. Yeah. That's it was cool. Like a, it was, like, a fun cameo between Bill Heck, who was also in Pit Stop, right. and him. And they the, were the kissing the couple. couple Eddie in the background. Yeah, I love that. 
No, is Bill based in Dallas? Bill is based in New York. New York. Yeah. So they all they so flew they all there. Came, you, yeah. And I was just like, I was kind of felt so bad asking them. I was like, hey, here's a funny idea. Would you do it? But tell, feel free to tell me no because you have no lines. And I always feel bad about asking actors back, and you're like literally not giving anything them anything right. to do. It's almost like insulting. It's almost like an insult. It's <laughs> yeah. almost like an inside joke, though. But it's like right. an affectionate one. Right. Like it's right. like right. honoring what you did together and yeah. Putting and them they were really again. cool about it. So I was like, oh, you guys are amazing. Well, that says a lot about you that they want to show up for you. Yeah, I think. Um, now, what do you do? Do you do full time filmmaking, or do you um, do? Uh, some of this other stuff you were talking about and then get your films in there. Yeah, I mean, I do... Uh, my sort of, like, day job is uh, doing graphic design. I, I design all the posters for independent films and documentaries. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so I've been doing that we for... We can talk about fonts. Right, we can talk about fonts. What's your favorite font right now? Uh, there's a font that I like a lot. Uh, it's um, Brandon... Brandon Grotesque. Or Brandon... It's G-R-O-T-E-S-Q-U-E. Is that pronounced as grotesque? I think so. Yeah, Brandon Grotesque is a font that I like a lot. I'm, I'm going to look into that. <laughs> I might have to download that. Yeah. So that's cool so that you do graphic design. Yeah. I like that. So it's also designing for film. So I'm very much just staying in that world and interacting with other filmmakers and, you know, being able to sort of like visually represent their, yeah. their, their works is like a really fun process. You have to, like, for me, anytime I do any creative project... The, brand, the marketing, the branding, the font, the poster. Like, yeah. I have to love it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's really important. Yeah, I, I can't be like, mm, we kind of <laughs> almost nailed it. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. And a bad font. I can't get over the Avatar font. Still, I'm still like, I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. They went with Papyrus. <laughs> but anyway, um, what's what's a, a poster or something you've designed that people might have seen? Or are there films uh, that, that, that have... Kind of broken out. Yeah, I have. Uh, I mean, the, re- the one of the recent works I designed for is uh, a Lynn Shelton movie called Outside In that starred oh, yeah. uh, Edie Falco and Jay uh, and Jay Duplass. It's nice. like the Duplass brothers production. Yeah, um, and it's like on Netflix now. So I designed the theatrical key art for that film. Cool. I just recently worked on a Sundance documentary that won a jury award that called Crime and Punishment. Cool. That's uh, I think it's coming on Hulu. Like next month or something like that I love that yeah so you know it's like do you work from home or do you I work from home home. I like that it's good so when it's time to do your poster Mm -hmm. are you like oh this is my gig I can't screw this up in other words do you ever go you really have to nail it right I mean totally but at the same time I kind of would you know if we had the resources I would love somebody else to take a crack at it because I think because they come in with fresh eyes. Right, exactly. And it's like, in our case, it's like, we, we wore so many hats on this film. Like, we did all the things that people would encourage yeah. us not to do, like edit your own film, you know? Right. But then I felt like we 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 were very brutal with the footage. It's like, yeah. we cut whole scenes out, we shortened, we cut out, drop a lot of lines and all this kind of stuff. And we kept test screening it after every time we made an edit, you know? So yeah. then it was like, I think at a certain point, we were just like, our none of our egos are in this anymore because right. we're just like beating it to the ground and right. we're just trying to craft we've taken our slings and arrows yeah. we're, st- we're, we're in this to kind of make it as right. good as it can be right awesome but, so you rocked your poster out awesome yeah good <laughs> um, your film is very serious but there's some humor in it right what is there a moment that always gets a laugh when you're in an audience um, I think it gets a laugh because of where we're at yeah. now and it's when Virginia says I didn't vote for Reagan last year. Yeah. But that has no idea. Yes. Because I feel like 
people immediately just swap it with Trump. Yep. It's in those true. kind of households. Yeah. And what's the idea of when your mom or your dad like betrays the other person by not voting for who they think right. both of them are going to be supporting? Uh, yeah, and especially when it's somebody who's sort of has the politics of a Trump or a Reagan, right, right. you know, that aren't that isn't inclusive to gay people or yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. That, that was a great moment. Right. She's luminous. Right, right, Virginia right. Madison. Totally, totally. Something like, luminous about she her. She has a, sort of like a very angelic quality to her. Like, especially for this character, it works really well, you know? Yeah. Because almost like, there has to be a very um, obvious contrast between the dad and the mom. Oh, yeah. Where one is welcoming and the other one's just a little bit like gruffy, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I love that. I, she was one of my first interviews ever, celebrity Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, for cool. Detour Magazine, like, 93 oh my gosh that magazine I still remember it it was the best those were the days and uh, I remember going to her place like it was in the hills or somewhere and I remember she had board games she had the game of life I don't know why I remember okay (laughs) okay so there's that but yeah Yeah, it was fun Um, so what's it been like the the reaction to it are you getting meetings are you you're in LA you're doing the water bottle tour right right right. have you started it I've started it I, I basically I came in on Sunday night because our screening was on Monday night, and since Monday and today's today's Saturday, yeah, I went through about twenty meetings from Monday wow. to Friday. That's incredible. And I have another ten more to go through before I leave on Wednesday night. That's huge. So it's it's been great. You know, I think I credited it to uh, my managers who yeah who who I got them after I premiered at South by, and it's like they really like busted their ass to just sort of like get me in the room and. You know, it's it's kind of interesting to go through this process because it's kind of like the first time I'm like going through it to this extent, right? Where, where it's it's nice to sort of know that because I always have like a complex about how like the bigger entities watch your small film and they're like, this shot is missing, right? Could use twenty more extras in the background, or could use this wide shot that we can see all this shit. And it's like I think I don't think people see it that way. Right. But I think yeah, I, 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 yeah. I can you, understand I mean, that's, thinking that's that way. My, that's, that's my what you're of, thinking. That's yeah, my yeah, insecurity yeah. about it. And yeah. then you know, and then I'm I'm learning that they don't really give a shit about that. And it's, it's the other stuff. It's right. the storytelling. It's, it's, it's more like is this, is this grabbing me? Did it move me? Right. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. And in that sense, it's like been very favorable. You know. So I'm kind of like, whoa, this is cool. You're living the dream, which is, for me, which is that thing that you create something, somebody sees it, and then some doors open. Right, right, right. Uh, that's awesome. And yeah. now you're now the doors are opening. No, so now, well, I mean, opening as in being in a room. Yes, that's opening a start. Opening it's being able to make something with them, that, that's another thing. Yeah, door. I mean, so. I think if I had, if I think if I had, okay, here's 20 doors opening and meetings. Right, right. Like, you have to have a strategy. Do you, do you... Say okay, here's my next thing that I'm working yeah, yeah, on, yeah. or what would you like to do? Maybe yeah. I have a take on it. Like, right. what? How do you make the most of those meetings? Yeah, I mean, I definitely come prepared. I, yeah. I study who they are before I go in, just so that very like, good conversations I have. But right, the, and you're the, like, oh, by the way, I love that that you did. Right, and then they're like, we didn't do that. Uh, that's the worst. <laughs> we didn't make that movie. No, you do uh, have to do your homework. Yeah. Right, and so the the advice I was given by 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 my managers is that be yourself. But be confident, which for me is always like, I don't know if I can do that. Because I, I always see myself in a certain way. I, I don't know if I project the kind of confidence that I I think is needed in those rooms where you have to be like this like cocky, 
visionaire or whatever. You know, I always have this idea that it's like that, but yeah, it, you, it's not like that. It's, I it's, don't think so. It's like com- it's confidence comes from people know that you are speaking from your heart, right? You know, and it doesn't have to be this sort of like alpha male version right. of it. You know, it can be just sort of like more chill. And I, I, I think I, I'm getting a lot more comfortable with it because I feel like, oh, I just... Yes, the confidence part is important, but I, I, I'm just focusing on the be yourself part, which is not hard for me. And most of them have seen the film. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I, something I, to talk about. Everyone I'm meeting with has seen the film. That's great. And, and have responded to it, so that's why I'm talking to them, which is helpful, because otherwise I can't imagine what, what else They already like, like what you're doing. Right, right. That's so cool. Yeah. Are you um, hoping to get more... Writing work, mm-hmm. directing work. What's your sort of? I mean, I, I right what would now, you like love I'm, to do ideally. I'm just still open towards both things, you know. In the sense yeah. that I feel like uh, self-generating content is never, something I'm never going to stop doing, right. just because you you always have control over the that that thing's destiny, you know. Right. And then I'm I'm and I'm sti- I'm open towards like looking at other things too, just just to sort of have an understanding of what's out there because I feel like. It happens very frequently. I read an article or a novel or whatever that I'm like, oh, what's the, what's this would be a good movie. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, and I think a lot of these people are very much, that's what they do every day, just like looking for material. So, so right now I'm just sort of like keeping it both ways, just like having, having best of both worlds just to see what's like the next thing I really want to do. How did you get your managers? They saw the film at South they By? They saw the film at South By and then I just, like, they just like came at me in the lobby and was just like, Hey, like, can we can we meet up? For oh my god! Order? I would then, love to have that ever happen to me. Yeah, and it could. I mean, it could happen totally. It's like one of those things where it's just a matter of like your film is seen in the right place, right? And then they're in the room, and then they respond yeah. to it. Shouldn't, and shouldn't, then, shouldn't seem like the holy right. grail of impossibilities. Yeah, but honestly, yeah. I still went through a certain sort of like. I mean, I, I don't. I don't want to say it's obstacles, but there was a sense of like it was really easy for me to make the decision to go with these people because right. I met the other ones who also approached me, and it was funny how like none of the other conversations were like constructive, you know, right. in the sense that I, I always have this sort of weird sort of thing that happens to me where I talk to you know like agents and managers, and most a lot of the times they do this thing where they inflate and deflate you. Ooh, break that down. Within the same conversation, and then you realize, oh, they actually don't really like me. Or they actually don't know what to do. Or they don't me. get me. Right, exactly. But at the same time, you, then you have to remind yourself, wait a fucking second. They're the ones who knocked on my door. Right. They, like, came to me. It's not right. like I, I initiated this right. conversation. And that part of it is always very baffling to me. I'm just like, why is this happening? The like, inflate, deflate. Yeah. So how would that work? They would say, oh my gosh, we love your right, film. That's right, the inflate. Right, we right. think you're so talented. Yeah, yeah. The deflate would be like, yeah, but the way you do it is never going to fly in Hollywood. Right. Or, or like, we need or, you to change in this way. Yeah, or it's like, it's really, it's going to be really hard for us to like put you out there. We don't know what kind of projects you're going to be able to get. And it seems like, you know, you may, like, you might still be not experienced or whatever. Like, the worst ones are when it's, it's insinuated that uh, the sort of being queer and being an Asian American may not help my case. Like, it might make it harder, you know, with the kind of films I make. On top of it, just being gay and Asian is just, you know, you're just, like, causing more problems in a way where people are not going to embrace you, I guess. Which Here's is- something that I've landed on and some of my peers in the world have landed on. Yeah. 
I have an actor friend who says, he, looking back, he goes, I sh- he really wanted to socialize with the gay world because those were his people, the outcast right. people. And he wonders if he should have schmoozed elsewhere. Right, the com- right. I'm going to be the comedy world. As right. opposed, you know. Yeah, yeah, but totally. He, but he's like, these are my people. That's where I wanted to be. Right. But he thinks his, his career might be differently if he'd chosen to schmooze in a different way. Um, but th- sometimes I feel like some people see, if you make a, if you make a gay film... It's like you didn't even make a film. It's like you made a right. macrame plant holder. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. it's some other it's thing. Like a, right. It's like a hat or a tapestry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like definitely a sense of like you're putting it in a different box and you're not looking at it as a film like any other film, you know? Right. And it, 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 it's like it's something else. Yeah, it's yeah. It's like totally. another thing. Right. And it's, it's that world is still, I feel like it's still very much something we still face. You know, I mean, David and I were just having a conversation about this last night and like short of like going into the actual names of the people. But I was like, I think there's like a list of casualty of gay directors who make significant works like in the 80s and 90s and they're not working now. And you're yeah. like, and you're like, what happened to those, those people? Yeah. Right. And it's like, I'm like, is this part of it? It's because the world wasn't ready for them at that time, so they were forgotten, in a way. And it's like... And I think it it plays a lot of these sense of, like, gay film or gay filmmaker, and gay filmmakers should start making straight films to get attention, and all this, like, weird shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, good thing you like horror, or good thing you like these other things, or whatever it is. Because I feel like they're they're not connecting, like, oh, this person is funny. Mm -hmm. This is a funny gay movie. I bet he could do a comedy. Right, right. I don't feel like people are making those connections. Right. But you don't need everybody to. You just need a few people to. Right, right. Exactly. And yeah. it sounds like you've gotten and some people that really get you. Yeah, and, and, I, and I, now I realize that meeting the right people is actually like... It's actually like date, as hard as dating. Yeah. Like you actually meet... Now you're most... really depressing. <laughs> it's, like, it's like literally like I feel like for us where we are not the, you know, yeah. not the conventional whatever. Like yeah straight white male whatever it's um, it's actually harder to meet the right person who's gonna be like you know like I could totally I know what to do with you yeah you know that's actually only very few people who know how to do that yeah but it sounds like you've got got some good good folks um, yeah it's really exciting grateful. it's really cool Thank you. I like it. We'll see. What have you pulled on the like studio lots and stuff? I have. That's and that's so really exciting. that's really fun. Like, I know, it's like, right? And it's always like. You check in and they give you like yeah. a map, and yeah. you're like, "That's a map to this place." Yeah, I was looking <laughs> back when my first novel came out in, in nineteen whatever it was late nineties. Yeah, I had a few meetings like that, or people right, that responded right. to the book. I didn't have representation or anything, but I had a yeah. few meetings where people took an interest because they liked the book or whatever. And I, what I would do differently if I could. I didn't know this at the time, was find out what they were looking to do. Find mm-hmm. out what mm-hmm. they were, oh, we were thinking about doing something in high, I, I don't know, try to find, try to fish for what they want and mm-hmm. see if I could come up with an idea around it and, gotcha. and go back that way. Yeah. That's something I, you know, I was very, um, and you probably relate to this, you're so self-determined and you've got your thing that you're working on that, that you, that you, um, that that's where all your focus goes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it didn't occur to me to go, Hey, what, what have you guys got? You know, is there some book that you were stuck right, on? Or right, right. you always wanted to make a movie about a beauty pageant or whatever? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's one thing that I would do differently. Okay, okay. I'll I mean, I'm just mind. throwing that out. Because uh, I, yeah, because it was more about, like, I don't know. It felt like a one, I, I was sort of thinking as it a one-sided thing. Yeah. And I would do that differently. But who knows? 
It's crazy. Um, you picked some questions from the observation yes. deck, okay. but you did something very audacious. <laughs> you just picked five questions randomly, and you don't even know what they are. Has so anyone not answered the questions they picked? Well, most people pick them beforehand okay. because they know that they're, they have a good story for it. Okay. So here we go. Oh, gosh. This okay. will be fun. This will be fun. This is an easy one. Okay. What was the first album, cassette, or MP3 you ever bought? I would say it's cassette, and the very first one that I bought was the original motion picture soundtrack of the Goldie Hawn movie, Wildcats. That is the most <laughs> obscure... <laughs> answer in the world right and i remember that specifically that is the weirdest (laughs) at the time i was a diehard goldie fan and i would see every movie she made there was a run in there where she made like one a year and i would see everyone on the opening weekend that was in that thing wildcats where she was the coach right and they sang a song there was like a wasn't there like a yeah yeah totally totally and it's like uh, woody harrelson was in it was Wesley Snipes? No. Yes, Wesley Snipes was yeah. in it. Yeah, totally. Wildcats. Why did you buy that cassette? Uh, I think, I, I remember I was like given an allowance and I went to the store and I think Wildcats was in the discount bin. I'm sure. And I was very much like such a film yeah. like nerd that any motion picture soundtrack, even if I haven't seen the film. Right. I want it anyway. That's cool. So I remember listening to that tape so many times that... By the time I saw the movie, I knew every single song. That's amazing. Like, <laughs> now, where were you at this time? Malaysia. Malaysia. Yeah. When did you... You came to the States for college, right? Yes. Yeah. So how much, like, American pop culture would you get? A lot? In Malaysia, a yeah. lot. Yeah. I feel like I learned English from watching American movies. Yeah. Would you go to the cinema, or was it more DVD or it video? It was both video, television, yeah. and cinema. Yeah. 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 When do you remember sort of falling in love with movies? Um, I actually didn't know this until my mom, until my mom told me when it happened. Because right. I think I was too young to actually remember it. So she, um, my parents took me to the movies a lot. And one of the movies that they took me to was The Elephant Man, the David Lynch film. Yeah. And I think I was, gosh, was I like six or something when she took me, when they took me to that movie? And... I don't think I understood what that movie was about, but right. there was certain imagery that really affected me as a six-year-old. Where I, 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 I just remember being really moved by the film. Right. And my mom said I was really upset when after the movie that I was like crying and all the shit. And I think that was my first sort of like significant sort of cinematic experience. Right. Where, where it, you saw the power. Of right. It. Right. And it's like crazy to think that I didn't. This, I didn't really follow it story, narratively, yeah. but I, I sort of could empathize with the elephant man. Yeah. And, and now I'm like looking back at it too and wondering, was that, was that the moment when I realized I was like an other too? Maybe. That's Is profound. that weird? That's like, profound. Yeah. It's like, and I was six, so maybe yeah. I already knew I was different yeah. at that age. Uh, you know who else is obsessed with the elephant man? Who? Bradley Cooper. Oh, really? I, I oh, that's that, right. He did the stage version of it. He did the stage play right, of it. I, right. I, did, uh, I did some on-camera stuff about him recently, so yeah. I didn't research him. Yeah. But um, in college, he did, or, or acting school, he did like a big scene from it. And right. he remember seeing it and having a yeah. profound effect on yeah. him, and then he was in it. So right, right. if you ever go into a meeting uh, hey, Bradley. with Bradley, <laughs> start with the elephant man, and yeah. you guys will be... You know, hitting it off. It's my advice. Okay, okay, this is a fun one. Well, it's not really fun. Um, what celebrity death hit you the hardest? 
What celebrity? I told you it was fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, this is fun. Um, oh, gosh. I feel like there's a bunch of them. I'm trying to remember what's the one that would be, like, really... Uh, I would say Whitney Houston was pretty hard. Yeah. In the sense that hers was hard and nuanced for me because it's like you kind of knew she was not heading to the, a good right. place. You knew, so you, you get a sense of that, yeah, you get a sense that her, her life is going to be shortened in one yeah. way or another. And it's like when it happened, there was this sense of like, well, of course this happened or whatever, right. you know, but then... Then you sort of start thinking about, okay, what does this actually mean, you know, and what is, you know, what, how, how has her legacy actually impacted you, like, growing up with yeah. music? And, and it was just like, suddenly it was just like, whoa, this is like, like, I feel really emotional about it just because it's like, I mean, I grew up with her stuff, yeah. you know, and just like, we, like, just going back to her, her, her music again and just like listening to it and it's just like, almost has this really weird haunting effect. Yeah. Where you're just like... And then like watching all the documentaries about her also. Yeah, just, I just saw just, the... I haven't seen the I've new seen one I've seen both yet. of them. Yeah. Um, the, the second one is devastating as well. It's more... You think it's more insightful than the previous one? It, there's more family access. Yeah. The previous one really focused on the relationship with Robin. And I think the premise was if she were allowed to be who she was, mm-hmm. she might have, you know, been able to, to stay away from right. the drugs and stuff. Right, right. Um, this one... It's much more complicated with family stuff, yeah, and yeah, yeah. you feel like she didn't really have a, a chance. Yeah, totally. And you also totally. really feel that Bobby Christina didn't have a chance right, at right, all. Right, 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 um, Yeah. But what struck me about the second one was the purity of her voice. Yeah. Because she had a really powerful voice, but she wasn't super riffy, like Mariah was mm-hmm, showing mm-hmm, off. Mm-hmm. More, she would show off with the power, but sometimes she would just sing something really soft and simply, mm-hmm. and it was just... Beautiful, right, right. You know, right. Um, but yeah, you yeah. Know, that it was uh, devastating. That second documentary. All right, where? What was the first concert you went to? Uh, the first concert I went to was uh, when I came to the United States. That was my first semester at Drake. And where is Drake? Drake is in Des Moines, Iowa. Okay. So we. Uh, my 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 friend and I drove to Iowa City to see Smashing Pumpkins. Wow! Uh, garbage open for them. I love garbage. Yeah, so I love garbage. That was my first concert. So their music is so sexy. It's yeah, like, I know. Mm. I know. Yeah, it's great. That was yeah. a great show too. That's awesome. Now, when you came to the states for school, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, what was that like when you first got here? Um, you know, it's it's funny to like sort of bring up the whole. Uh, adjust uh, expectations adjustment again but right. it was that sense of I only knew America from what I consumed back in Malaysia so sure. you, you see America in a very certain it's way. not like Wildcats right exactly <laughs> or any other films I've seen especially Midwest representation right is not something you often see in those films right so I you know it's like coming to Iowa and you're just kind of like what's going on here and then and then this sense of like I came from a big city in Malaysia and this is like feels very much like a small town um, that was interesting because I, I felt like I was definitely surprised that a lot of the Americans I met in my first semester were not as friendly as I expect them to, expect yeah. them to be and this idea of like mid, Midwest hospitality or whatever yeah. you want to call it I didn't really feel it yeah you know um, it wasn't happening 
and then you know, eventually I made friends and all that kind of stuff. But then, yeah, there was definitely certain things where I was like, there was like, wait, why does salad dressing here taste so thick? Yeah, <laughs> right. You know? you, but you felt like you learned English growing up, watching all this stuff. So right, you felt right. like you were in pretty good shape with with the language and stuff when you got here. I mean, I was not very fluent, I'm, right? Because I, I don't, I didn't get to speak it every day, and I right. sort of like brushed up on it really, like within. I, I felt like I was very fluent after the first year. Yeah. What made you decide to want to come to the States? And was it hard to get that opportunity? What did you have to um, Drake do? Drake uh, had a diversity initiative where they wanted to get international students in. So they gave us like really great financial aid scholarship oh, packages. Oh, sweet. So it was like, just do it. Like, you know, like, like my parents have always wanted me to study abroad. Like most, most Chinese parents would. They just want to send their kids overseas. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I... I mean, you know, and that's the, that's the thing. I kind of, I knew I was gay, and I knew I had to be at a place that was more receptive. Right. And I felt like I have to get to the states somehow. You felt like the states were were more receptive than right. than Malaysia. Right. Exactly. Uh, even in somewhere, you know, like Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what? When do you? When you got to the states, did you start to meet other gay people? Did you? How did that uh, sort the of really funny thing is that my neighbor was a uh, my dorm neighbor was actually like this um, gay activist and he um, he ran the um, there was like the support group I don't remember the acronym it's like it was all on college campus right. it was like a version of like P flag whatever sure and I was so scared of him yeah it's too much I was like he's gonna figure it out that I'm like him yeah and, and then I say you know I'm gonna have flags and stuff and right. stickers on my door and he was like the guy that people on the floor made fun of because Ooh. he was so out and right. flamboyant and dyed his hair and all this kind of stuff and everyone like made fun of him and all that kind of stuff and meanwhile I was always nice to him but I was definitely kept my distance yeah you didn't want to get any because you didn't want to be you. too close to that yeah. person who's like you and so I always regret that because I think Eventually, I I met another friend that I became really good friends with, and then he like came out in our senior year, yeah. and that definitely sort of like expedited me having to come out also right. because I literally saw him coming out to a group of us, and everyone was okay with it. Yeah. So I was like, "Fuck, I need." To oh, speak by the way, me up. too. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. That was that sense. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're, they look at you and you're like, "Ditto." <laughs> yeah. You're, right. That's so easy, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. yeah, um, yeah. There was somebody in my life who was out and figured it out for themselves before I did. Right. And I wasn't kind to them. Okay. I, yeah. I, and I look and back on that. And this was how old you when you when they were... Uh, I would have been like 17, 18. Okay. okay. Uh, and I, I look back and I'm like, I should have been nicer to that person. Yeah. yeah but that's, that's what we that's, do. Yeah. Um, did it feel um, brave for you to come to the States to go to school? People think it is, but it's not that brave. Like, yeah. I mean, it's like, if the resources are there, and the yeah. school's giving you financial aid, and then you can't come, you just yeah. you just do. The, the the shitty thing is having to be stuck on a plane at that time for, I felt like it was a 20-hour flight, and yeah. this was back when there was, like, yeah. no, like, in-flight entertainment in front of you and yeah. that kind of stuff, and yeah. so it was, like, you just felt it trapped. endless. Yeah. <laughs> now, after you finished school, was it easy to stay in the States? Uh, I mean, I got a job, thankfully, yeah. so I think that helped in terms right. of, like, the visas and all that stuff leading up to eventual right. getting a green card and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's hard, but I, I, I think I was lucky in that yeah. I didn't have too too rough a time of a Making time that transition. Yeah. Um, here's one. If you had to change careers tomorrow, what mm-hmm. would you pursue? Um, I ask that because I'm looking for ideas. Okay. So, I wonder if that's... <laughs> I think I, I don't know if it's too late. I think I would I would be a really good therapist. 
I bet you would. <laughs> I feel like you're yeah. the same way in the sense that yeah. it, if we're good at getting people to talk, yeah. that's probably like a natural transition. You know? I think so, and listening and right. being interested. Right. I thought about that because uh, I do know a number of people that have become therapists yeah. as kind of their second yeah. act. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm very interested in the field of positive psychology. I don't know if you know much about that? that. It's more about the study of what makes people happy. Yeah. Like, uh, and there's a, I think it's the University of Pennsylvania. There's a, quite a big movement there around that stuff and. And um, I find it really interesting. Okay. So, oh, I should uh, look that up. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Okay, and this is the last question you picked. Uh, I'm going to give it a little little uh, twist. The question is, what's the worst thing that's ever gone wrong for you on stage? Because mm-hmm. I, I interview a lot of performers. Yeah. What's the worst thing that's ever gone wrong for you on a film set? Okay. Uh, I would say... I mean, I think... Can I go back to the stage one? Because I yes. do have one. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. I just didn't want to... Yeah. I mean, yeah. the stage one. Okay. So... That's it. Okay. This is another sign of incoming gayness. <laughs> I was... I was... I might coddle this um, yeah. podcast. Uh, another sign of incoming gayness. I was eight years old and I always wanted to sing. Oh, this is so good. <laughs> so... Um, I our our school at that time always had uh, singing contests right. for the kids in school, and it's like you're competing against your peers basically. So you right. sign up for it, and then you rehearse. Your your teacher helps you rehearse, 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 and then you're ready. You go up there, you do it. Yeah, it's like American so, Idol. Yeah, so I was like, I'm I'm gonna crush this. this. Is why you're crush this. I'm yeah. so good. So I just remember going up there. It was like singing like a. It was all like you have to sing like Chinese songs. Yeah, and I sang this song. It's about my mother's eyes. <laughs> nice. It's something to do with my mother's eyes. Yeah. And um, I, I think at that time my voice was starting to change a bit. So right. I thought I was able to hit certain high notes, and then I didn't. You didn't have it. And I was in front of everyone oh, my in goodness. an auditorium, and I just remember I stopped. That's why you connect to Whitney, by the way. <laughs> That last tour, she right. thought the now same thing. Now there's a connection, yeah. yeah. Like why her, why her death <laughs> it's like that impacted singing. me. Yeah. yeah. And then instead of finishing the song, yeah. I actually walked off you just, stage. You're done. I just, yeah, I just, you actually Simpson right off like, I didn't. I'm not going to win it. Yeah. I, I <laughs> no. It's done. You I, cut your losses. Yeah. Would you get teased later? Was it? Yes. Oh. Yes, totally. Oh, I mean, when, you, when it's public like that, yeah. it's shit. like everyone's going to like shit on you afterwards. That's a lot. And I was just like... Not singing anymore. I'm ever. done. <laughs> I'm done with it. Um, when I met you, you were living in Dallas, but you've yeah. since moved to Austin. Yeah. I visited Austin. It's super cool. Yeah. Do you love it? Yes. Do you the go to Barton only... Springs? Yes. I mean, not as much as I would. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, actually, not that frequently. I mean, every right. now and then it comes up. It's like this um, natural swimming hole. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's like a Mountain Dew commercial comes yes. to life. Yeah. And they tell you that it's always the same temperature of the water. Yeah. Like 70 degrees or something. So then they would do... Um, this um, polar bear New uh, New Year's Day thing where you have to dive into like freezing cold water as a right. way to sort of like yeah re- start the new uh, year yeah start the new year so have I you done that I haven't but my right. friends have yeah I, I don't think I want to do that yeah anymore. screw that <laughs> have you eaten at Sandra Bullock's restaurant I think I she has a restaurant yeah she, she does she used to I don't know if it's still there though, but yeah. it's run by her sister or something yeah. like that yeah alright mm-hmm. And, but she's not. She doesn't live in Austin anymore either. Oh, she didn't. She, yeah, beat, she, moved she beat on. the hell out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I went to the film festival there, and I loved it. I went to Alamo Cinema and Draft House, mm-hmm. and I discovered 
that almost any movie can be saved with um, soft tacos, steak yeah. tacos. I remember seeing The Women with... Remember that remake of The Women with Meg Ryan and... It was not good. Oh, right. It was Where, not good. Uh, Jada Pinkett was in it. Was Maybe. Was a lesbian? And, possibly. Yeah. It was a, and Wait, it was not good. Annette Bening was not in it, was it? Is she in it? I don't remember. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, it's one of it those It was the, the women remake. And it was bad. But the steak tacos at the Alamo <laughs> Cinema Draft House were delicious. Yeah. I support them. I didn't see the bats very well. I went to see the bats under the bridge. Right, right. They didn't really show up in a big number. Okay, okay. But it was fun to stand out there and try to, right, right, try to be part right, of it. Right, But you feel like that's a good hub. There's also a lot of filmmaking there. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, it's a very much like, I think it's kind of like the own, like a blue dot in a really red, red, yeah. red state. Uh, and uh, it's a great, there's a really strong, vibrant film culture there. And a lot of these you know, like renowned filmmakers still live there, like Richard Linklater still lives yes, there. Yes, Robert Rodriguez. Terrence Mallet, right. Ro- Robert Rodriguez, Jeff Nichols. Nice. Um, and so, you know, there's them, and then there's like people on it in yeah. the space like me and Kat Kendler, who's like now, it's kind of like not really there anymore because she's like, she was show running Queen Sugar. Oh, right. And then, so she's now in LA. Yeah. Um, Andrew Bajowski is another director, uh, the Zellner Brothers. And I mean, that's like a pretty yeah. nice range of people who. PJ Raval. The whole community. So, yeah. Do so, they all hang out at the same Yeah, I mean, house? we, we kind of, we do a lot of uh, get-togethers. Cool. And it's, it's, it's one of those places where the town is small enough that you don't have to, like, schedule your shit, like, a month in advance right. or whatever. It's, like, just, like, drive, a, you know, you're, you're there, in, like, within 10 minutes. Let's Fantastic. just do it. Do you ever think about moving to L.A.? I have. And I don't know. I mean, I think... Maybe if, if if something requires me to be right. here, I would totally look into it, you know? Yeah. But I don't know if I'll make this home base. I, you know? I hear you. Like, I think... I love visiting, you right. know? And I feel like I have a lot of friends here, so it's it's always nice to, you know, catch up with people when I'm yeah. here. But, yeah, I don't know if I'm ready to take that leap. I hear you. Now, you're wearing a T-shirt that says Cuba. Have right. you been? I haven't, no. No, it's a cool shirt. Question, right? I ask because I want to go there, I think. <laughs> Me too. I just saw the Gloria Estefan musical. I'm yeah. like, ah. Oh, right, mean, right. I want to do everything. Yeah. Um, do you feel like your films or your stories, is there, a, is there a Yentan aesthetic or themes that you explore? Like, I write a lot about friendship. Right, right. That seems to be what comes up for me a lot. Yeah, yeah. Have you thought about that as an overview of like, okay, this seems to be the themes that I'm interested in or, yeah. or is I every mean, film different? I, I think that's definitely, uh, you know, like a like a thematic thing in the sense that, like, I, I feel like stylistically I definitely have a certain style that's almost like that in every film. Like, sure. sort of, you know, shooting, like, long takes and all this kind of stuff and just sort of, that's just sort of like a certain kind of auteurishness to it. That yes. I, the way I approach it visually. Absolutely. Um, but I think I'm, I'm more into the, the just this idea of exploring... I feel like I, I always do this thing where if I'm struggling with something in real life, whatever it is, uh, I would just sort of like put it off. Like, I don't know how to resolve this thing that I'm going through. So right. I'll put it off. Let let me work on something else in writing. And I think I indirectly channel the unresolvedness into the work itself. And it's usually only after I've made the film I can look back at it and be like, what did I learn from this? Right. And how does it apply to this problem that I was having. Right, how am I in a different place Because 1985 pretty much came from that place because I think ultimately I realized what I do is that, you know, 
I, I feel like in real life I run into these situations where I don't know how to do something or how to move forward or how to deal with something. And then I would make the film and then I sort of let my characters figure it out. Right. Figure out the other shit in, in their narrative space. And then I sort of let them inspire me to help me tackle with my shit. Right, if they know? can do it. Right, exactly. That's this weird thing that happens. That's really like, interesting. Because I think somehow they represent the better version of me, if that makes sense, where they go, sometimes they go to even, uh, they have, you know, their hardships are more intense than mine. Right. So then when I sort of, narratively, I can sort of explore how they overcome it, whatever. Right, if they had the strength to right, do it. Right, exactly. Then it makes me, it inspires yeah. me to be like, wait, can, should I do, like, just like even, you know, the fact that, like, you have Adrian who's, like, you know, living with AIDS and he's in this really hard situation and he ultimately, the message that leads to his brother has that line which he says, uh, things tend to get darker before they get brighter. Yeah. I mean, I literally thought about that line, like, randomly, like, a month ago when I was just, like, going through some crazy work shit. Yeah. And it's not like it's the same thing, but I was like... But, you know, but it comforted you. It inspired you. Wrote. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, th- I thought Virginia Madsen had a line that I love so much in the car. Yeah. Where she says, when you're, when you're ready to talk about... or Something right, about... Right. You, don't, you don't have to tell me until you're ready, and I'll try to be ready when you are, is what she said. I just... It was so lovely. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's lovely and also very in character yeah because it's almost like I'll try to be ready when you are right being, she's doing she's the best she can with right. all of these people in her yeah, family yeah. and I don't know what your interpretation is like the scene when uh, the son is looking for her because they're ready to get to the airport and she's like praying in her bedroom in his yeah. bedroom because my interpretation of that was always like she's actually asking God to tell her what to do about confronting him yeah was my my interpretation of it. And I think that's a lovely interpretation because I'm almost saying that she's actually, like, a really good Christian. Yeah. Like, she's asking God for the right things. How how should I be? Right, exactly. How sh- what should I say? Yeah. How should... Yeah. Help me. Right, right. Wow. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, what was it like when you came out with your par- to your parents? <laughs> I came out to my dad first. They came from my graduation at, at Drake in the morning. Right. And... I told him, and he was like, don't tell mom. It's so interesting when family members say, don't tell the other one. Right, right, it's right. So she can't I... deal with it. Right. And then you realize, oh, he must be right, since right. you are with her all this time. And then, and then I told my mom when she came to visit me in Dallas a couple of years later, and I just told her, and she was just devastated. And it's like I was with her the whole time so I could help her cope with it. Right. But it was definitely some sort of like, there were like certain dramatic moments that I, that now I think it's really funny. You know, like certain like random shit that she says to me. Like the one of the, it's it's literally like one of those like Margaret Cho jokes where my mom, because she was like confused and angry and all this kind of stuff, she said to me, um, uh, I noticed that you're very tidy a very tidy person is because is it because is it because you know in your heart that what you do in the bedroom is so dirty <laughs> <laughs> and it's like I sh- it's so like bad yes that's exactly <laughs> right, right right that's exactly, right. That's exactly why. right oh my god but it's hilarious right. when you talk about it you know I mean and that it's should like, go in a script right right because yeah. it kind of reminds me of um you know, Anne Bancroft in Tor- Torchong's yeah. movie, like all the shit that she says to him, like yeah. at the end of the movie, and it's like, I think there's just 
trying their best to right. grasp just what's going on, and they end up saying these like ridiculous things. I think we forget sometimes how little they know about it or yeah. how uh, foreign it is to people because right. we know a lot of gay people. And, right, right, yeah, right, right. That's, that's right. wild. But, you know, she came to terms with it eventually yeah. and then we have a really good relationship. But it's just like, I need to write down all the things that she said yeah, because it's like... It's there's like some a, gold there. It's like some, a nice collection. Yeah. Um, what do they think of your films? Uh, she saw a rough cut of 1985 when when she was came to visit me. Yeah. Uh, and I think she really liked it. Like, yeah. You know, I think she's very proud of me and all yeah. that, you know. Uh, but, oh, I also yeah. noticed the diner in your movie has your last name. Not intentional. It's not intentional? So it's one of those things, you know, it's like, and this is what happens on the indie film set where the production designer thinks she's like, sort of like doing a gag that we yeah. don't know about until we're on the set. Not thinking that a, a menu is just something that's going to sit on the table or whatever. Right. And you're not, it's never actually going to be on camera featured. Right. And the problem is that we had to place it there because the sun was hitting the shades in a way that was creating weird lens flare on right. the camera. So we have to block, put something there. And that was the only possible yeah. solution. Yeah. So then we put it up there and I was like, fuck. Yeah, you weren't, you weren't looking to have a Hitchcock and winky the, moment. And everyone was trying to convince me. It's fine. Nobody's going to see it. Nobody's yeah. going to, and literally this is coming up all the in time. In everything. Yeah. Did, was that intentional? And yeah. you did like bomb. tell, say, make up a story about it. Was always yeah. your grandfather's dream to have right. a diner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And totally. Yeah, we yeah. shot. We shot in my grandfather's diner. Thank you. That's it. Okay. It rolled right off the tongue. <laughs> okay. You can lie. It's all good. Um, tell people how they can find out more about the movie. It's going to be in some yeah. theaters. So theatrical release uh, right now is New York City and L.A. Uh, on October twenty-six. Um, but you know. Go to our website, 1985thefilm.com. Our handle on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is at 1985thefilm. Love it. So all the information, you can get it. Fantastic. any of those places. Well, everyone should check it out. It's a lovely film. All of your films are great. Thank you. Um, final question. Why do you make films? Why do I make films? Uh, I don't think I have a choice. You know, you in have the sense to. that... Right. It's, like, it's kind of one of those things where... I would love for it to be a choice because yeah. I would choose something more financially responsible. Right. Um, but it's almost like that's you know it's it's in you and you have to that's that's how you have to express yourself and you cannot not do it. It's like not to say I'm Whitney Houston, but it's like asking Whitney Houston not to be Whitney Houston. Right. I don't think she had a choice either. Right. <laughs> You're gonna have to do it. Right. Right. I get that. All right. It's been so much fun talking to you. Yeah. It's been fun to watch your career unfold, and I always love seeing your movies and spending time with you. So Thank you, enjoy guys. the rest of your time in L.A. Yes. And take, some, take waters at these meetings. Take a plant if they <laughs> offer it. Just, just make those meetings your bitch. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Dennis. Bye. Bye. All right. Thanks again to Yen Tan for making time while he was here for Outfest to do the interview. Check out his movie, 1985. Um... It's funny because I have a big announcement that I'm going to make next week that involves somebody that he worked with in his movie 1985, Virginia Madsen. I'll give you that little teaser um, for next week. But so this happened this week. Um, there's no way to say this in a nice way. I spilled coffee on my laptop and it ruined it. I, I know. I'm going to give you a second to just for your stomachs to hit the floor, to go through the uh, nine stages or whatever it is. So... 
I was able to save the hard drive, so I didn't lose any stuff, but I had to get a new laptop, and boy, those things are so expensive. I thought I would go to the, the Apple store and realize that in the eight years, seven years since I bought my laptop, I've, it's been a trooper. I mean, just the porn, porn it's had to download on, it's, and it, just that was a lot of work, and it's still hung in there, and all these podcasts, everything... I love that computer, and um, but it's gone. i got to let it go. But I thought that the prices would come down and the technology would get better, but I really barely was able to get enough memory to get everything that's already on my computer on there. They don't even have USB drives anymore. You have to buy an extra piece for that. They don't have DVD players. Um, it just felt like, wow, should I lube up my ass before I come in and go through this process? Because I feel like I'm getting, uh, you know, violated. It's a lot. So, um, and then the way that I used to record my leads through this one file, now it's not importing, blah, blah. I'm in a lot of uh, computer transition places. So, and then the, they hit me with that bill and I was like, my credit card literally started crying tears when I pulled it out of my wallet. So, anyway, if you were ever thinking of uh, kicking in a little to my virtual tip jar... Um, my, my sad face computer story might be just the impetus you need. You can do that at, uh, dennisanyone.net. But you know what? Looking toward the future, I'm moving on. I've got a new laptop. And as soon as I get these bugs figured out, and there's a lot of them. I just went to a cafe. I couldn't get on the Wi-Fi, but it wasn't their fault. It was mine. Like I, you know, anyways, this is life. It's a good thing. Everything else in the culture is going so well. Um, well, there's that. Anyway, I got tickets to Dear Evan Hansen coming up, um, and there's that's something, which I'm excited about. All right, I'm rambling. Uh, I had a lot of trauma this week related to the computer, so you can you can see that. But um, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. I'm going to get out of my car now.